0: let me, I got a lot to cover this morning, but I just want to take a moment just to thank you for the fact that you take care of all of our material needs. So we have the opportunity of spending time, much time with God and his word and in prayer. Uh, this week has just been absolutely awesome for me. Uh, just being, having to be there with Robin, so I couldn't go do other things. So, uh, I spent a lot of time with the Lord this week in His Word, and uh, just talking with Him and worshiping, and uh, that which He did within me through the passage of Scripture we're talking about today has been transformative. It's been wonderful. And I want you to know this morning is not going to be preaching so much as it is Bible study. This morning, I'm hoping God has prepared your heart, but... You're going to have to put on your thinking caps this morning, okay? You're going to have to stay with me. You're going to have to think this one through because all the Word of God is powerful. All the Word of God is truth. but There are certain passages of Scripture that are just <laughs> these mountaintops that just lifts us up to the heights of glory And such is the passage that we're going to be dealing with this morning. Uh, As I studied, though though I have preached on this passage many times uh, throughout my ministry, God began to help me to see certain things within the passage that I have never seen before, that are right there, uh, that are connected, but uh, I've missed. And uh, when the bottom line is this. I hope through our study of the Word this morning, you will come to a greater appreciation for how wise our God is. How wise His Word is. And how God has been intricately within every detail of life bringing about that which is necessary for our redemption. For our salvation and His glory, and this morning, if you'll listen now, I'm going to have to. I'm taking too much time to introduce, but I want you to understand. Uh, this message should probably be two messages, and it might end up being two messages. There's just so much here, but um, but in order to fully appreciate it, you've got to keep them all together. So we're just going to trust the Lord to do that for us and to uh, do in our heart that work that He knows needs to be done. We're going to start Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Just to set the context for where we're going to pick up. And when He had called the people to Himself with His disciples also, He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, if you want to hold on to it, if you want to be in control, will lose it. But whoever loses it, gives up your life for my sake and the gospel's to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will save it. For what will it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Or What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me just ask you, what are you so giving yourself to in your life right now that you're willing to give your soul for it? What seems to be so important to you in this life right now that you're living for, giving yourself for? That you're willing to give up your soul and spend eternity in hell that you might do it. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, him and his words one and the same, That's why John said in the beginning was the word, that's how he used to describe Jesus. Whoever is ashamed of me, not willing to take a stand, not willing to speak up, not willing to share the gospel, whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, By the way, if you have Facebook, make sure you look on my page. Watch the video I posted yesterday. You ought to play it tonight before the Christian citizenship class if there's a way of doing that. In this adulterous and sinful generation of Him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So right here, Jesus introduces to His disciples. He's going to die on a cross. He's calling them to be willing to bear their cross. And He's also telling them there's a day when He's going to return to this earth in the glory of His Father with His angels. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now remember... Whenever Mark wrote this, he didn't write chapter divisions. What happens in chapter 9, just following along what Jesus has just said about His glory in chapter 8. And He said to them, Assuredly I say to you, now who's He talking to? Who's the you? He's talking to His disciples. Assuredly I say to you, there are, some standing here. Now, who was standing there? His disciples. Who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, a lot of people, there's a lot of interpretations, a lot of different writings and thoughts about what Jesus was actually saying about there will some who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. What is he referring to? If you just keep reading, you find out. It amazes me the amount of Bible scholars that come up with all kinds of stuff. They just quit reading. and They just take a verse and stop. you just got to keep reading, he tells you. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Now after six days, why six days? Hang on. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Now, why of the twelve disciples did Jesus take three to experience something the others are not going to experience? Why? Glad you asked that. There's a few places in Scripture where this is recorded, but let me just give you two. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. God lays out in His Word through the law how truth is established. How you can know that something is true. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony. In other words, you've got to establish the truth of what happened. Shall be put to death on the testimony, the witness, of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. You gotta have two or three. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. But what if John goes out here and says, Hey, I saw this in, in Jesus? Or what if just Peter goes out and says, well, I saw, let me tell you what's true about something that happened with Jesus. Or uh, by the mouth, notice, of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So God established in His Word through His law that truth, when a witness bears witness to something, that the truth is established by the mouth of Two or three that all agree on the same thing. That's why when Jesus was on trial, remember? Before the Sanhedrin, they kept bringing witnesses and they couldn't find any that would agree. Finally, they come up with a couple of them that said, hey, he said he's going to destroy the temple, build it up in three days. They had to have two or three that would agree. Peter, James, and John. They're going to experience something with Jesus, the rest don't. Now, why these particular three? Well, we don't know for sure. He doesn't exactly spell it out for us, but let me give you a little bit of etymology that I think is based on Scripture. Okay? And that is Peter. He's going to be considered the chief of the apostles. The other apostles are going to look to him for leadership. In fact, Jesus told him in the upper room, when he told him that he was going to deny him three times, he told Peter that after he had been, what, After he had been restored, he was to strengthen the brethren. In other words, Peter, you're the one that I'm going to use to strengthen and to lead the other apostles. So, Peter was the leader of the apostles. James, the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, who was also going to be the first of the apostles to give his life for the Lord Jesus Christ, the first to be martyred. John. He was going to have the longest influence of all the apostles because he was going to live the longest. He was going to live to be about a hundred years old. Uh, He was the one that was going to be exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He's the one that God was going to give the revelation. He was going to write the Gospel of John. He was going to write the three epistles and the revelation. So there's Peter, James, and John. Look at verse 2 again. Now after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Now, the Scripture says He takes them up to a high mountain. What mountain? Well, Bible scholars and all say they've narrowed it down to two. One is Mount Tabar. Uh, it can't be that one. I've been there. I've seen it. It's a little mountain. It's a little short. It's like a hill. The highest mountain in Israel at that time was Mount Hermon. When you read the previous chapter and you see where Jesus is at the time, that's where this happens, Mount Hermon. Now the question is, why did He have to take them up to a high mountain? Why couldn't He do what He's about to do on the Sea of Galilee? Why not on the plain? Why not in the wilderness? I mean, why did it have to be a mountain? I'm glad you asked that question. You always ask the best questions. I want you to notice, important times between men and God throughout the whole of the Bible, especially when you look in the Old Testament, always happened on mountains. Whenever there were great theophanies, appearances of God to men. It always happened, it seems, on mountains. In fact, I don't know if you've actually studied the Bible about this thing, but some of you might be surprised by this. When you read all the Bible says about the Garden of Eden, did you know the Garden of Eden, it says in Scripture, was on a mountain? The Garden of Eden was on a mountain. And God used to walk down in fellowship and walk through the garden with Adam and Eve there on the mountain. God manifests himself in his words and his plans and his glory always on mountains. For instance, in Genesis chapter 22, on Mount Moriah, I've stood on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah, that's where God called Abraham to take his son Isaac and there to offer him as a sacrifice. Mount Moriah. It was there that that the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, stayed the hand of, of Abraham when he was going to offer his son and provided a substitute for Abraham. In fact, what's interesting is there on Mount Moriah... If you just go down about 300 yards from where God provided the substitute, there's Calvary. Right there. Right there. Then on Mount Horeb, or you might know it as Mount Sinai. That's where Moses met with God in the burning bush. It is there on Mount Sinai that Moses met with God and God gave him His law. There's Mount Gerizim, which is where God gave to Moses the blessings and the cursings of the law. Then there's Mount Nebo. That's where God took Moses when Moses had disobeyed God. And God told Moses, I'm going to allow you to look into the land of promise, but you're not going in there. Keep that in mind. I'll let you see the land, but in your humanness, in your flesh, I'm not going to allow you to go there. Moses saw the promised land. It was on Mount Nebo where Moses died. It's on Mount Nebo where Michael, the archangel, fought a battle with Satan over the body of Moses. Then there's Mount Carmel. I can't wait to talk to you about Mount Carmel one day got to walk on Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel, Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, and God sent fire from heaven and devoured the sacrifice. Let me just give you one little thing about Carmel. You watch know down at the base of Mount Carmel? God destroyed the false prophets, sent the fire to consume the sacrifice. When you look down from Mount Carmel, You look right down. You know where? The Valley of Megiddo. Where the final battle between God and the false religions of man are going to take place. So much that God puts together. Then there's Mount Zion. Mount Zion, which happens to be Mount Moriah, by the way. That's where Jerusalem is. Mount Zion is where the temple was built. It was on Mount Zion that Jesus was crucified. It's on the south side of Mount Zion where Jesus was resurrected. All these happened on mountains. Mark chapter nine verse two. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. I know you've heard this. Every preacher uses this one. You might not know a lot of Greek words. You know agape. And you know this one, metamorphosis. Metamorphae in the Greek. He is transformed. He is transfigured before them. Brother Tim, what does that mean? Verse 3. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, <laughs> such as <is> no launderer. <laughs> For some reason, Peter... Uh, you Remember, Mark's getting his information from Peter, remember? So either Mark or Peter must have had some kind of problem with the launderer. He said, "As no launderer on earth as it can ever whiten. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. There before Peter, James, and John... Now, now, by the way, one of the other Gospel writers tells us about this. Jesus takes them with Him. He goes a little bit further ahead of them, leaves them in a certain spot, says, stay here. And then while they're waiting on Jesus, what do Peter, James, and John do? They went to sleep. Exactly like in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're sleeping. Sleeping. Now, I find it interesting. Peter, James, and John can stay up all night fishing. They can't stay awake a couple hours just to wait on Jesus. They're Baptists. All right. So, we can go to a ball game for four hours and pray it's an extra inning. You come to sl- church, and can't sleep through a 45 minutes sermon. Okay. All right. All right. Now here on the mountain, Jesus came as one of us. Born as man. Encased in human flesh. Dimmed the brightness of His glory, which we could not behold. But here, for a few moments, He pulls back the veil. And let's who he really is shine. And the brightness of the glory awakens Peter, James, and John. They were in the presence of God. Why Moses? Why Elijah? Why this glory? Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand. Remember Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words. And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them, with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. They're afraid to come near him. When Moses was in the presence of a holy God, Moses' face reflected the very glory of God. But here on the mountaintop, Jesus is not reflecting the glory; the glory is shining out from Him. The glory is not reflected glory here on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. It's intrinsic glory. It is who He is, and His glory comes out from Him. In Ezekiel chapter one, verse twenty-six through twenty-eight. Ezekiel is given a glorious glimpse of the presence of God. And above the firmament and over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man. Now notice, the appearance of a man high above the throne. Who's this man in the Old Testament? In Ezekiel's day, Jesus, the Son of Man. Also from the appearance of His waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber and the appearance of fire all around and within it. And from the appearance of His waist and downward, I saw, it were as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. As Moses saw the bush that had the appearance of burning, yet was not consumed. It was not fire in that bush. It was the glory. The glory of God. Had the appearance of a bush burning, not consumed. Here. The appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud. Now remember that. The appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. I can only imagine what that was like for Ezekiel. Then David. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, You're very great. And You are clothed with honor and majesty. That word majesty is the word for glory. You're clothed with honor and majesty who covers Yourself with light as a garment. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, this same John that was there on the mountain now sees Jesus in His glory. His head and His hair were white like wool, and as white as snow, and His eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if it were refined in a furnace. And His voice is the sound of many waters. And He had in His right hand seven stars. And out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, His word. And His countenance, that which He looked like, His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I want you to understand, folks, we serve a glorious Savior. John. John is there on the mountain. Jesus pulls back the veil. He'd been walking with Him for about two, two and a half years. And now he sees Him transfigured in His glory. It made such an impression on John. Remember, he lives to be an old man. In his old later years, he writes John 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was man. He was flesh. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The God-man. John never got over what he saw in those moments on the mountaintop when he saw the glory of Jesus. When John was boiled in oil, what got him through that experience? He saw Jesus in His glory. When John was in exile on the Isle of Patmos all alone, what got him through that experience? He saw Jesus in all His glory. Dear friend, no matter what you're walking through in your life, if through His Word, by faith, you'll catch a glimpse of His glory and who He is, that'll see you through. Because He has you. First John. John writes this even after he writes the gospel of John. He never got over it. First John chapter one, verse two. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. The word there is in the progressive tense. It is we heard, but it is as if I can still hear it. His words, his voice is still echoing in my mind, which we have seen, same tense. We saw it, and even now, it's as if I can see Him, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands has, have handled. And it's John's, John's saying in the tense of the word, it's like I can still touch Him. We handled with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What does He mean? We saw Him in His humanity, but oh, I saw Him in His glory. How do I know? First John chapter 1, verse 5. This message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He remembered the brilliance of that light that shone out of Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if you walk in His glory, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, how does He know that He's in light? He saw Him on the mountaintop. He saw Him in His glory. As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That bond, by by seeing Jesus in His glory, that bond between Peter, James, and John, that, that bond was strengthened. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. John never got over seeing Jesus in His glory, but neither did Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter writes and says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. In other words, the New Testament's not just made up, folks. By the way, I want you to understand Old Testament and New Testament, they're one story. We divide them between the One Covenant and the New Covenant. I'm hoping one of the things you see in this study, everything that happened in the life of Jesus and everything that's happening in this moment, all goes back to the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of everything that guy laid out in the, in the Old Testament. Peter writes and he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses—remember that witness—you got to have three, two or three witnesses. We were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, His glory. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him. From the excellent glory, from the heavens, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When did they hear that? The baptism. The baptism. Verse 18. And when we heard this voice, same voice. You hear His voice, you're not going to mix it up with anybody else's. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Right here at the Transfiguration. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He says the glorious one that we saw on the mountain I want you to understand that same glorious one will come to live His glorious life in you. I was fixing to say, if somebody didn't say amen, I was going to have to slap somebody upside the head and wake you up. Listen to me. This same glorious one who was transfigured on the mountaintop in all of His glory Whenever you place your faith and trust in Him, repent of your sin, surrender your life for Him to Him, He, through the presence of His Holy Spirit, comes to live the same glorious life of Jesus in you. So, why are you so discouraged? Why are you so down? Why are you so stressed? Could it be we've just failed to realize who actually lives in us? And what He's like. The amazing thing to me is not that Jesus let his glory, his glory to shine. That's who He was. The amazing thing is that He veiled the glory in all order to walk among us. The amazing thing to me that He veiled the glory that in His human body He who is absolutely holy would become sin for us. Philippians 2, 6-8 through Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself. He emptied Himself. What did He empty Himself of? Did He ever stop being God? Did He ever empty Himself of His divine attributes? No. The one thing He had to set aside that He might live among us as one of us was His glory. For to live among sinful men with His glory continually shining, sinful men would have been consumed. and would have spent eternity in hell. Folks, our glorious God walked among us. But how did we respond to Him? Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. A lot of, all these pictures you see of people making of Jesus, I hope y'all don't have any of those. Number one, the Bible says don't make any graven images. Be careful about that. That's one thing about these TV shows that portray Jesus and people really get into them. Don't You're not supposed to be making human images or likenesses of God. That's another song. One thing I know, they're all false because they always make Jesus look, number one, feminine, and He wasn't. Number two, they make Him somewhat attractive, and He wasn't. Did you know that Jesus physically was ugly? That's what the Bible says. He has no form or comeliness. There's nothing beautiful about Him. There's nothing attractive about Him. There's nothing that would make you take a second look at Him. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. They only wanted what they could get out of Him. They didn't want Him. He was despised. And we did not esteem Him. But I want to remind you, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, that's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. That's who Jesus is. There on that mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, He let them see the brightness of His glory. Let them see, in fact, he is the expressed image of his father. Back to the transfiguration. I want to read Luke's account of the same event. Luke chapter 9, verse 29. And while he was praying, they're sleeping, Jesus is praying. Just like the garden. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. And they were Moses and Elijah. By the way, did they introduce themselves? Hey, I'm Moses. I'm Elijah. Were they wearing name tags? How do they know it was Moses and Elijah? In the glory, they knew everyone. People ask, when we get to heaven, are we going to know each other when we get there as who we were? Yes, you are. Nobody had to explain it to them. They just knew. In glory, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they were all in glory. Encased in glory. They knew. Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory... Now, Moses died on a mountain, was buried by God. Elijah taken up in a fiery chariot. Now, there they are, two men in glory, were speaking of his departure. Hopefully we'll get to that. Which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Why these two? Why these two? There are two that are bearing witness that this is the Christ. Moses and Elijah. There are three witnesses down the mountain. Keep in mind, two and the three. Moses and Elijah. I could go into a lot of stuff on this. A lot of stuff. Moses represents the law. He was the lawgiver. He gave the first five books of the Bible. He gave the Pentateuch. Elijah was the representative of the prophets. That's the rest of the Old Testament. Most times in Jesus' day, when people were referring to the Bible, the Word, the scrolls, they would refer to the Law and the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets. Moses and Elijah, the whole Word that God had given unto man prior to the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus. Luke 16. And what I want you to understand is this idea of the law and the prophets is an ongoing theme through Scripture. It's an ongoing theme in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. Luke 16, 15-16. through 16. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and He says, You are those who justify themselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. From the coming of John, what did He preach? Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came, what did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, until that time, it was the law and the prophets. Luke 16, beginning in verse 27. This is the account of Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus told about. Then He says, the rich man in hell, I beg beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the whole word of God from that Old Testament. Let them hear them. In verse 44, then he said to them, these words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the Law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Here's the thing I want you to understand. This is why the Pharisees, though who quoted, who knew the Old Testament, they studied it, they were the most informed, they were the scholars of the Jewish people, never understood it. They never understood it. They mishandled it. To this day, they mishandle it. They don't get it. They know what it says. They do not understand what it means. Why? Because the only way to understand the Word of God is by the Spirit of God. Jesus had to open their minds to understand what He was saying. Apart from Him opening their minds and their hearts to understand, they would not have understood the thing is, you have Bible, Jewish Bible scholars, that get on and they say oh, this, that, and the other stuff, and they are absolutely wrong, but they don't get it. They never have from the day the prophets gave it to them. They killed the prophets. Why? Because they did not understand what the prophets said. God gave them their word, his word, they couldn't get it. They didn't get it from Jeremiah, they didn't get it from Isaiah. They didn't understand it. Though they thought they did. They, they claimed to be the ones who had the most understanding and never understood. Because apart from the, Word, from the Holy Spirit of God giving you understanding and illumination, you'll never get it. How do people sit in, sermon, uh, in churches, listen to sermons, hear the Word, walk out? No change in their life. They just don't get it. Why? Apart from the Holy Spirit... You will not understand. I don't care how simply the preacher breaks it down; you won't get it apart from the Holy Spirit. The problem is, most people who don't get it think they know it all. Ever raised anything? I'm never mind. <sighs> Luke nine verse twenty. Y'all hang with me, okay? I promise you it'll be worth it. Luke 9, verse 29. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking. And what were they talking about? Glad you asked. His departure, which was a, he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Departure. His departure. What's his departure? Good question. The Greek word here, is the word Exodus. They were talking about His Exodus. Literally is what it says. They were talking about His Exodus. Why, Moses? He's the one who gave the law. When? When did He give the law? During the Exodus. When God was taking His greatest act in the Old Testament to demonstrate His plan of redemption and salvation... He took His people out of bondage and led them in an exodus. You read the book of, of Exodus? Why is it called the book of Exodus? It's the first word in the book. Exodus. The Exodus took them out of bondage and led them to the promised land. Moses, who led the Exodus. Jesus was about to have His exodus. Exodus. He was about to exit this life into the foreign land of death. Bearing our sin. Taking our death. John 19, verse 28. After this, now notice, they're, they're talking about what they had written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what Moses wrote in the law, and Elijah representing the prophets, what they were just talking about, what God had given them and what they had written in the law and the prophets concerning why Jesus is here. And the details of the cross his departure. How do we know this? After this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Scripture says, Jesus on the cross, knowing that all things had been fulfilled according to the Scripture. Question, how do you know? Number one, He's God. He's the one who gave it. Number two, He had just had the people He used. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, and they had covered all the details of everything that was happening, going to happen at the cross. Remember, Jesus said, if you do, if you want to come after me, you must deny himself, take up your cross and follow me. They just discussed it. i got to get through this. Mark 9, verse 5. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus... Now, they've just had this amazing experience. Peter answers, now what would you say if you just saw all this? I mean, you saw Jesus in His glory... Now, by the way, Moses and Elijah. Moses. What was the one thing Moses always asked God for? What's the one thing Moses asked God for? Show me your glory. He said, you can't handle the glory. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over your eyes. I'll pass by you, let you see my hinder parts. That's all you can handle. Moses said, okay, but I want to see your glory. God answered his prayer right there. Right on the mountain. He saw His glory. He was engulfed in His glory. By the way, remember I told you to remember this? God let him look over into the land but not see the land. But guess where he is now? He's in the land. He's on the mountain with Jesus. Finally, There's some other things I wish I could tell you. It blows your mind when you see how the connections between the Old Testament and the New and how they build on each other i got to give you this one. Moses and Elijah, they saw something they had never seen on the mountain. Moses and Elijah saw Jesus in His humanity. They had never seen that. They saw the the Son in His humanity. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, had seen Him in His humanity, but now they saw Him, as Moses and Elijah did, in His glory. In His glory. Humanity, divinity. If you think all this stuff just happens by accident or some people can make it up, I'll reserve a room for you in the loony bin. All right. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Boy, is that a manner of understatement. Yeah, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why? Because he didn't know what to say. For they were greatly afraid. I bet so. Now, by the way, why did he come up with this idea? Let's build a tabernacle one for you, one for Moses, one. Where'd that come from? Good question. Glad you asked. This happens, the Scripture tells us, in the month of Tizri. Month of Tizri. You know what is happening in Jerusalem right now in the month of Tizri? The Feast of Tabernacles. That's when the Jewish people built these little lean-to huts to remind them, one of the Jewish festivals, to remind them of their wandering through the wilderness, their time in the wilderness with Moses as God provided for them and cared for them in the midst of their rebellion uh, all, all that time? It was to remind them of that? Who's there with Jesus? Moses! The, one of the Feast of Tabernacles, where he started! What's going on in Jerusalem? The Feast of Tabernacles! God's with them on our exodus! Moses is there! Peter says... Let's build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's why he says it. By the way, did you realize that all of us that are Christians are the one Jewish festival we're going to celebrate in the millennium, in the kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, is the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who has left all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year. Now this is during the millennial reign. These are all of us. From year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. Maybe one thing you learn today is, throughout the thousand years, for each year of the thousand years, we are going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. All of us, from all the places God has assigned us to where we're reigning and ruling over the earth, we're all going to gather back together in Jerusalem once a year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. To remember. Now for the Jews, it reminded them of their wandering in the wilderness, yet God's provision for us, we're going to be reminded of our wandering in this life, what our lives were like here, living in a lost world, living in a world under the dominion of sin, to appreciate what it's like living under the reign and the rule of Jesus. And we're gonna celebrate. That's awesome. Awesome. I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna to get to finish it. I would like to deal with this word overshadowed, but we'll let it go. Here's what I want you to get. If you're a Christian, please have an appreciation for the fact God, from before the time He spoke the world into being, and from the time He had Moses write the book of Genesis, was working in the most minute details of life and geography. He created those mountains for a purpose. He put them where they put them for a purpose. He met with us on those mountains for a purpose. All the pieces fit. If you think the Bible is a bunch of fables, there's nothing to it, it's just the writings of men, you explain how all that came about the way it did. You explain that. There is no other explanation to That but it came all from God. One common source. In his wisdom, he brought all of it about so that the day would come when he would take his son, his son, his equal, the three at one, and take him to a mountain and nail Him to a cross. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him and to lay upon Him the iniquity of us all so that we could be forgiven and saved and redeemed, cleansed, and brought into His presence. An infinite, eternal, omniscient God worked out all those details in a perfect way that only He could do. And yet, you think you're going to be good enough to figure out your own way to get to heaven? After He's done all of that? Who do you think you are? You sure think pretty highly of yourself. If you're here and you're lost today and you don't know Him as your Savior and Lord, you've never repented of your sin, you've never placed your faith in Jesus that when He gave His life, He gave it for you, you've never surrendered control of your life to Him because you think you can control it better, remember who He is. Remember His glory. That's what He did for you. Because in all of His glory, He loves you. Loves you. And then brother and sister in Christ, how can we not live our lives for Him when we see what He's done for us? How much throughout all of history He's done for us. And then for those of us that are here and we're hurting, and you're going through the tough stuff of life, okay, you're going through the tough stuff right now, and your heart is heavy, and your emotions are so torn. Be encouraged today. Remember the one who's in control of your life. And when you call out to Him, this is the one who hears your prayer. This is the one in all of His glory who's working out in all you're going through. Shaping you and molding you so that your life reflects His glory. He's shaping your heart and life to be more like you embrace, in embracing the pain, you're really embracing Him because He's in it. We're on shouting ground this morning. I almost feel like Miss Sheila, I feel like I need to take off my shoes. We're We're on holy ground today. Whatever your need is in your life, this one in all of his glory is the only one who can meet.